The Lord is good. All the time, indeed. You know, this morning, um, the Lord has taken me in a few different directions, which he, he does often, and, and I know he ties it all together. But I was talking with Beth this morning, and a question just kind of popped out of my mouth that got me thinking about this. You know, because we, we, know, we know we've, in many here, if not everybody, you know, Ignition Church, whatever you want to call it, has, has been in a process of sifting, right? What is sifting? Sifting is testing. That's all it is. Sifting is testing. Sifting is separating out the part of the wheat that's good and the part of the wheat that you throw away. That's what sifting is. And see, what Satan's bet is, is that when the sifting is done, all that's left is bad. See, that's, that's what he wants. That's what his plan is. In fact, let, let's look that up. Uh, let's see here. Go to Luke chapter 22. Yeah, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. This is where... Jesus is talking to Peter, Simon Peter, and this is just before Jesus is taken and put on trial, and of course you know what happens after that. So let's just start at verse 31. Hold on. Father, we worship you, we praise you. Lord, I give you my mouth, I give you my hands, my feet. My eyes, my ears, Father, give me ears to hear what you want. And I ask that nothing be mixed in of my own accord, but it just be you, Father. Make me a vessel, as that song said. Make me an offering. Make me that clean vessel that you can use, Father. Forgive me of all my sin, known and unknown, Father. Even, even subconsciously, anything that I have done that would be offensive to you in my dreams, Father, forgive me for them. Allow me to be clean before you so there is no pretense in the words you speak through me, but only you. For that's what I desire. That's what everybody here desires. We just want to hear from you. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 31 says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Let's stop there for a second. See, Jesus was aware that Satan was coming after Simon Peter. And, and I'm sure it wasn't just Peter. I'm sure it was all of them, all, all the twelve, or the eleven. <laughs> right? Not, not counting Judas. Judas got sifted and failed way, way, way before that. But Jesus recognized what was coming against Peter in this case. He recognized it, and, and he knew what was going on in the courts. Why? Because his father told him. Because his father told him he, he had to receive and know by faith what was going on. He knew what was coming against Peter. And he said to Peter, he said, Satan has demanded to sift you. See, that word demanded there invokes a right. He didn't request. He demanded. He demanded a right to do that. Why? Because they had just said they wouldn't do it. They had just said that they will stand 
for the Lord, that they will not leave him, that they will be there for him regardless of what happens to him. They will be there. See, this is an example of what God expects of your words, right? He said, every word that comes out of your mouth has weight. Talks about the words being weighty in the book of James. That we are held accountable to every word that comes out of our mouth. So he said, Satan demanded to sift you. He had a right to demand this. And you will be sifted. Let's go on. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So Jesus interceded, knowing what was going on with Peter, knowing what even Peter didn't know. See, imagine, imagine yourself in that situation right then. I don't think Peter lied. I don't think Peter lied by saying, I will stand with you. I will be with you. Nothing, the, the armies of the world couldn't keep me from standing by your side. I'm positive he felt that way. Right? But in the testing of that faith, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew that when he got sifted like wheat, that there would be a failure. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again. There's a key little statement in there in understanding what Jesus knew beforehand. And when you have, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus knew the failure was coming in the sifting. Why? Because he knew Peter's heart. He knew Peter, he, he knew his mouth had more strength than what he was ready to back up with. Do you see what I'm saying? I am not downing Peter for this at all. Okay, we all go through this. We all go through this. In fact, this is a, this is a portion that should give you faith in the fact that when you're sifted and you fail, that's not the end. That's not the end at all. Because Jesus is there and he is praying for you that your faith may be strong. So he said, and, and by the way, when you, when you do fall, if you're reading between the lines here, say if you do fall, and then you get back up again, because you're going to, then go strengthen your brothers, because they're going to fall too. Because they're going to be depressed too. They're going to understand what Satan wants them to know and wants them to think. But you're going to be in a position to strengthen your brothers through this sifting. We all go through this. This is why the body of Christ is so important. Because we don't stand alone. We stand with each other. And we've learned this. We've learned this as a church. We've learned what it means to stand up for each other and with each other. Because we can't go through it alone. I can tell you there are things that we go through, there are things that I've gone through that I could not have done without you guys. Things that we've done in Nigeria. The time when I knew going there, they were going to try and abduct me. I knew it, Lord said it. Even in that time, it was the strength of you guys that lifted me up. Just like Jesus was praying for Peter. It's the strength of that that lifts each other up. That's a critical thing. That's an important thing. But that's not the thought that I talked with Beth about. I want to go beyond that. I wanted to lay a little bit of groundwork there to understand what really happened. But now let's look at the other side of the coin. What if Peter didn't fail? What if he didn't fail the sifting? What if Peter, instead of denying Christ, what if he said, no, he is the Messiah, he is my Lord. 
I said I would stand for him. I will stand for him. You will not make me be silent. What do you think would have happened? You know, we can only look at that. We can only conjecture what would have happened. See, I don't think he would have been killed. They barely got the legal right to kill Jesus. They certainly wouldn't get the legal right to kill one of his followers. At best, they beat the snot out of him, make him go somewhere where he he can't even help anymore until it's all done. But imagine, imagine what would have been different in his life. See, we look at the life of Peter and we see that in Acts chapter 2, everything changed for him. He went from this man that was, that was kind of this clumsy whatever man, and then he went to a spirit-filled preacher. Right? A spirit-filled preacher, led by the Holy Spirit, following everything that God wanted him to do. Acts chapter 2 changed him. But then yet we see later on in his ministry that he lets the spirit of religion overtake him again. Because he eats with publicans and sinners, with Gentiles, but then when the church finds out, oh, well, no, I, I don't eat with them. I mean, Paul called him out on it. He said, you're, you're a hypocrite. Now, that isn't the summary of Peter's life. Peter's life is victory. Peter's life was an amazing stand to literally begin the church, begin the bride. But what if, what if, what if he had not failed in the sifting? No doubt he failed. I mean, let's all be honest, he failed. He denied Christ. But what if he hadn't? See, the reason I pose that question this morning is because it is sitting at the feet of every Christian right now. It's certainly sitting at the feet of this church. What if? What if we just believe God for what he says? What if we don't put the parameters around it that humans put? You know, it's interesting. I'm curious, how many in here have watched or have started to watch that little mini-series on Netflix called Family? Four of us, five of us? Okay. (laughs) Being the compulsive person that I am, I watched all five episodes last night. Because I, I thought, no, I, I got to finish this. Because when it did, did you finish them? Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, only certain people are stupid, apparently. Did Did you guys finish it? Okay. Oh wow. Okay. So I so I get. Did you finish it? Oh, I yeah, I finished it. I finished it. All right. I'm gonna make some statements here. No, 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 I'm going to spoil it. (laughs) But I am going to suggest that you watch it. Okay, this is, it's a story about, you can't even say a church, but it's a group of believers that over the last 80 years have gained this amazing, control is not the right word, influence, this amazing influence in Washington over presidents, over everything else. It it is literally what started and what produces the the National Prayer Breakfast every year and all throughout the globe. Very interesting because when I first started to watch it, and this is probably where some of you are at right now, it just felt freaky. It just felt creepy. This secret society... Okay, those are bad words anyways. This secret society that all they do is love Jesus and Jesus only. And all the things on the surface sounded good. Like, yeah, I, I, I love Jesus too. Jesus is everything to me. 
Jesus and, and nothing else. Nothing else in, in this life. Just Jesus. And, and so I identified with that. But, but if you throw in the creepy music and you throw in the creepy photoshopped graphics and you cut up the interviews in a certain way, starts to give you kind of a creepy feel to this thing. And that's how it was through about the first three episodes. Then I started to see what the agenda was. And when you guys watch the whole thing, you'll see the agenda. There is an agenda. And the reason I bring this up, first of all, I'm not saying they're not creepy. I'm not saying, I have no idea. Because literally when you watch this, Remember, you're watching one side of a story. You're watching a single perspective. But in time, as you watch it, you're going to see that perspective start to show itself. Coming presumably through the mouth of a Christian. Okay? The reason why I even bring this up is because, guys, this is going to be said of us. It is said of us. We're going to have all the creepy music. We're going to have the creepy photoshopped pictures. We're going to have the interviews that are cut up and put in such a way that we're absolutely off our rocker. They've got plenty of material. They could take five years of Facebook videos. (laughs) There you go. Yes, indeed. Just the interview at creation, pretty much as a whole. But understand, guys, it's not about any of that. It's about the truth of who Jesus Christ is. It's about the truth of what his word says. Not what you think it says. Not what the world wants to feel that it says. Because it's that feeling that has allowed in the church things that are an abomination to God. Do you understand that? See, when you have a homosexual pastor stand stand up in the pulpit and say, Jesus is Lord. He may speak truth in that statement, but the very fact of his life is an abomination to God because of the sin, not because of his life. Jesus loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Why? Because it keeps us from him. It's really simple. It's not this matter of control that, well, I I don't want this there, I don't want gay marriage, I don't want abortion, I don't want these things in this life because, because they're wrong and I just want to control everything. That's not Jesus. See, Jesus is saying, if you have this in your life, if you have that in your society, if you have this in your church, it's going to keep you from me. It's going to literally keep you from Jesus. And in terms of that, keep you from the Father. But understand that the enemy is going to frame that in a way, just like this show. Going to frame that in a way to say, you have an agenda to hate. Right? You see it in the world today. You see it in the world today. Conservatives have an agenda to hate. Whereas liberals have an agenda to include. Right? That's the baseline of it. How false is that? I'm conservative. I don't hate. I don't hate at all. I hate sin. But there's not a soul out there in human form, that I hate. And yet, on the flip side of it, there are many Christians, Christians, of a liberal slant that will hate me, that will hate you. 
I, I don't know about you, but in, in psychology, they call that projection, <laughs> right? But understand what the warfare really is. It doesn't matter what you're called. If we're on this earth to make sure that we're labeled correctly, man, we got a long fight ahead of us. Because Jesus was never labeled correctly. He loved. And that love never changed, no matter what they did to him, no matter what they said to him. It didn't change. So if we're to be followers of Christ, we are to be Christ-like. We are to imitate what Christ did. That's why he said, if you get down this one thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and then love each other as yourselves, love each other the same way. If you just get that, you got everything. Because everything flows from that. So what if Peter didn't fail? What if we don't fail? What if we don't step away from what God is calling us to do, which doesn't seem to make sense? See, you've got to understand where Peter was, where the disciples were. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to them. Understand the reason why Jesus was put on the cross in the first place. They were, why, why do you think it's called the triumphal entry? It's because the Jews thought he was coming there to take physical control of his kingdom. All the miracles Jesus had done, now it's going to turn to war. Now he's going to walk into Jerusalem. He's going to claim the very throne that is his right to claim. They were all for that. Because they were under oppression from Rome. And they're thinking, Rome can't stand up to our God. Yeah, we're for this. Let's go get them. And within a week, they were hanging him on the cross. Why? Because they didn't get it. They didn't understand the spiritual aspect of what he was doing was way more important than the physical. In fact, it was the physical outcome of it that purchased the spiritual victory. It was his death on the cross that purchased your life, my life. So we can't, we can't blame Peter for not getting it. We can't blame Peter for failing. Peter didn't have the Gospels to look at. He lived it. He was close to it. He didn't see the after effect of it. We can. We can. See, we could follow Jesus in a way Peter never could. Because, see, we see the proof of everything. Everything he had was by faith. So what if we don't fail in our sifting? What if we step in the direction God wants us to step? What do you think could happen? I could tell you right now, it's the reading of the bride. I want to share a couple things with you that the Lord did laid on my heart yesterday, I've known for a long time, and I've said bits and pieces of, but this will just be more fodder for them to, you know, clip together and, and make me look like a whack job. That's fine. A little over two years ago, the Lord told me, we have 24 years. He said, we have eight years of Donald Trump. We have eight years of Mike Pence, and we have another eight years of Nikki Haley. 24 years. That 24 years is not, he said, 24 years of favor. That 24 years of favor is not just because, man, you guys have had a rough time. You've had some, some tough presidents. You've gone through a lot. Let me just give you some good ones, good conservative ones, and, and, and so you can relax a little bit. Does that sound like God? Yeah, it doesn't sound like God to me either. 
No, what he was saying is you have 24 years of favor for the bride to become ready. See, he loves the bride with a passion that cannot be quenched. He loves the bride with a passion that cannot be even equaled by anybody else. I want you to turn. Let me see. Turn to Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6. You, these, these verses are going to sound familiar to you. <laughs> You're smiling at me. Did the Lord give you that? Yeah, okay. These are going to be familiar to you because you will have heard these in a song. But I want to read them. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart. Now this is, if, if you can imagine, this is talking about the power of love. This is, this is how much Jesus loves us. How much the Father loves us. How much He desires the bride to love Him. Set me as a seal upon your heart. As a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. See, we know that God is a jealous God. We know because scriptures tell us that he is a jealous God. He is not a jealous God of receiving something like when we think of jealousy, like, man, they have, they have a truck that actually the engine works. I'm so jealous. Right? It's not that kind of jealousy. It's a jealousy permeated by righteousness. God is righteous, and His jealousy is for anything that is not, and anything that would draw us away and make us unrighteous. He's jealous for that, and He says right here that His jealousy is fierce as the grave. Right? It says, love is as strong as death. What He was saying, the ultimate thing that Satan wants, is your death. Ultimately, he wants your death. He wants you to be in the grave. He wants you to not have any more opportunity to worship the Lord, any more opportunity to lift up His name. And Jesus said, His love is greater than those things. His love is greater than the grave. His love is greater than that death. So what if we just believe Him? What if we just believe His Word? When it talks about building a relationship, guess what? We can assume that that's actually possible. When it talks about communication, we can assume that that's not only possible, but that it will happen. We can assume that as we build relationship with Him, there is a closeness that can be built there that mountains will literally be moved because of the faith of that. The bottom line is you could believe it or not. Because, see, the sifting is almost where God shoots the gun at the start of a race. You're going to run? Are you going to wait? Was that, was that really the, the gun? Was that really the start? You know, maybe that was a car backfiring in the parking lot. You know, was it, was it really you, God? See, he gives us ways to make sure. You know, it, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to say, well, you know, God told me to buy this red truck. Okay, I can't look 
in Proverbs, and it's saying there, you know, it is my will for Greg Twiddell to buy a red truck. You know, it doesn't work that way. But see, as you build relationship with him, he does say what his voice is. He does confirm his voice. He does confirm relationship, and I'll tell you how. It's in your walk with him. Look at your walk today versus what your walk was six months ago. If you're not closer to him, you're doing something wrong. You're doing something wrong. And I don't mean something sinful. I'm saying you're not understanding something. Because, see, he's the one that doesn't move. We're the ones that move. He's the one that's accessible. We're the ones that change our access. Why do you think that, that these men all were willing to die for Jesus after he rose from the grave? Every one of them except for John died. They died a martyr's death. Why do you think they were willing to do that? Because now all of a sudden they believe him? No, it's because he proved it out in their lives. He proved it out in their lives. I would imagine if, if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you knew that Jesus was your Savior and that nothing could happen to you that He does not ordain, and you were faced with somebody holding a gun to your head and saying, do you renounce Christ? Think about that. That's a tough thought. Really think about it. Because, see, if you really knew who you were in Christ, it wouldn't even be a question. It doesn't mean there wouldn't be fear, right? There, There may be fear, but there wouldn't be a question. Lord, I trust you. It's just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they went in to the fiery furnace. They said, we believe God's going to save us. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't matter because we're not going to deny him. So they stepped in there with a faith knowing that he could do anything. Believing that he would save them, but saying, my faith declares it doesn't matter if he does or not. Because I know in whom I worship. I know who Jesus is. And in that knowing, in that relationship, I will step into that fire regardless. See, Jesus, I mean, we know Hebrews 11, he wants faith. He just wants faith. But what is is faith? Is, Is faith... Something that you just kind of culminate yourself. Maybe you, you work up the, the choice to have faith. Yeah, faith is a choice. But it's not just something that, well, now I will turn this switch on and I have 100% faith. It doesn't work like that. Faith is something that builds upon itself. How do you think... How do you think Peter would have, would have answered that sifting after Acts chapter 2? Yeah, very different. He even proved it out when he gave his life at the end. But why? Because he had grown in that relationship. The Lord had proven to him who he was. Not, not just on a grand scale, but on a personal scale. See, has, have you allowed God to prove who he is to you yet? Or do you keep saying, no, I've got to figure this out. See, because I'll tell you what, you can learn this book in the iPad. <laughs> you could learn this book one upside, up one side and down the other, intellectually. You could have memorized the whole thing. I actually know a guy who has the entire New Testament memorized and much of the Old Testament. Now, I, I'm not saying that like he 
doesn't have relationship. I don't know why it popped into my mind. But, but bottom line is you can know everything intellectually about this book and still not know him intimately. Because, see, relationship requires faith. I don't have to have faith to believe that World War II happened. Right? I, I could look at evidence, even though there's no physical evidence around me that I could see. Right? I can look up all the intellectual part of it that I want to. I could see what happened. I could see who was alive. I, I could even talk to some people that were alive at the time. But I still have to accept it by faith because I wasn't there. The Bible is laid out in such a way that unless you engage in relationship with him, you're never going to understand it. You're never going to understand what it means. You're never going to understand its, its true intent and purpose because relationship is the true intent and purpose. I want to turn. Let's see. Will can tell you where this is. He gave it to me yesterday. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Oftentimes that happens with Will. Is Will came up to me yesterday and he goes, said, I have no idea why. He said, but the Lord told me to give this to you. Okay, thank you. Matthew chapter 13. Well, now we know why. Parable of the sower. I want to read through this. That same day, in this uh, Matthew 13, we'll start at verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And I, I want you to pay attention to this here. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of the soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil. And produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. By the way, in case you're wondering, that, that last part there that doesn't seem to fit anything, where it says, and they produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty, that's a yield. Okay, that's a yield in an area of land. Like, like for instance, uh, you know, in, in Nigeria, they, they yield um, a, a metric ton of soybean for a hectare of land. Versus in the States, our average is about three metric tons per acre of, or per hectare of land. That, that's what it's talking about, the difference of production of that faith within a person. Okay? Just, just so you understand that. Then I want to go, go down, because he explains this parable. We'll go back to verse 10, but I want to go down to verse 18 first. He explains what the parable means, this story that he's telling the people. And, and the, the disciples ask him about it, so he explains it. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. That pathway that just hit the, the, the heart, it had no, no soil, no ground, nothing. Right? That's what he's saying is, is the, the, uh, the word of the kingdom was given, it was not understood, it was not received at all, it hit this ground, and then it says the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. That's what's along the path. Verse 20. 
as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I want to point something out there. When tribulation or persecution arises on what? Account of the word. That's the sifting, guys. That's the testing. It has to come because faith untested is not faith. It's a statement. You could say you believe in God all you want, but until you actually step in that, it's not faith. It's merely a statement. And that, that's what this was, because, because um, um, he received it with joy, but there was no root in himself. He endured for a little while until that sifting came, and he fell away. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Right? We, we've, all, we've all heard of, of uh, wheats and tares and, and, and weeds that grow up with the wheat. Okay, when, when you hear the word as a believer, by the way, this is not just Get out of your mind that this is justification. You know, what we call salvation. That, well, this group wasn't saved at all. This group, well, they were saved just for a moment. Like, it was almost like a teasing salvation, and then they really weren't saved. This one here, they were saved, and then they were just led astray, so then they're not saved. And the last group, they're the ones that got saved. They're the ones that, they, they get to be with Jesus, because they're saved. I'm sorry, does that sound stupid to you? It sounds stupid to me, and I was the one saying it. It's not talking about salvation. This is talking about relationship with Jesus Christ. This is talking about intimacy with Him. Receiving His Word. Letting His Word become a part of who we are. So in this case, as for those that were sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the Word. But the cares of this world and the riches of this world... Choke it out, because it's more important. Wow, this is where probably the majority of Christians find themselves. In one way or another, in different degrees to another. It can be all the way from, from not believing this because, you know, I, I just have to control with my, my job. I just have to control, you know, I, I'm going to, yes, I, I'm, I'm marrying this, this guy or this girl because if I can control this relationship, it's going to be good. Oh, wow. <laughs> good luck with that. It doesn't work that way. It is the idea of control and the idea of managing what you have that takes your eyes off the Lord. How often do we do that? Because, you know what? It's tough. It's tough in the ebb and flow of faith. It's tough in the sifting. It's tough when you lose things. And I, 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 I hate to keep using this example, but, but the Lord did give me that truck. He did give me that truck. So, so in it being gone, now that the engine's blown and it's going to be 25 grand to fix it, you know, I could be frustrated. Now, in my heart, I'm not about to be frustrated with the Lord, right? Because I'm a good Christian. I wouldn't do that. I would never pin it on him. Oh, but I'll pin it on Satan. No, that was wrong for him. He, he took, me, took something from me the Lord gave me. Do you know that's just as wrong? Do you understand that, that Satan has a right to sift? Why? Because the Lord wants to give us opportunity to draw to Him. If we're not sifted, we can't be proven out to be closer with Him. So, when you're sifted, when things are a difficult choice, 
don't turn away from it like, like this shouldn't be happening like this. Every sifting is an opportunity. Just like Peter had an opportunity. He, he could have stood up for Jesus. And, and things perhaps would have been very different for him later on. It wouldn't have changed what happened to Jesus. It might have changed what happened to Peter. How about for you, for me? See, we have a choice to believe in faith. Or, or we can let the cares of this world grow up and choke out our faith. You see that time and time again in people. Verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundred, in another sixty, and another thirty. In other words, that there are different levels of what that faith is going to purchase. It's the same with your life. It's a very rare thing for somebody to say, I believe you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I will walk in every step you tell me to walk. See, that's, that's a really cool statement to make. And I, I know I've made that statement. I, I'm speaking from experience in this. But you better be ready to back it up. Because, see, Satan's going to have the right to sift you, have the right to test you. And when, when he does, you have an opportunity that when you trust the Lord, you step in that, you step in what you had said, what you declared, knowing full well that in your relationship with him it's the right thing, then when you step in that, there is a victory that you, I, I, can't, even, I can't even explain it to you. But it's extraordinary. <laughs> Haven't used that word in a while on purpose, just so you know. But it is. It's extraordinary. Because the result of it isn't necessarily what you see externally. The result of it is what you feel and what you know internally in your relationship with him. How do you think some people can be so confident of his word? Use me for an example. How do you think I could be so confident in something he's telling me? Is it because, well, I, I, just, I just have this commanding leadership, you know, whatever, I'm this cult leader? I mean, you could believe that. I mean, if that's the case, you're giving me way more credit than I think you should. Because I'm really not that charismatic. Amen. <laughs> Just ask that. No, it's because I know in whom I believe. Amen. We can know in whom we believe. We can know his voice. He said, my sheep know my voice. Right? When you spend time with him, you learn his voice. You know his voice. You can take his voice and you can compare it to his word, which is what he wants you to do. It's, it's not about flying off the handle and just believing every dumb thing that pops into your mind. It's not about that. It's about proving out his voice and knowing who he is, knowing his voice and proving it out in his word. And I've said it before. What would happen if a church decided to say yes to him no matter what and actually step in that yes every step, you know what you'd see? You'd see the tip of the spear. You'd see the beginning of the reading of the bride. And see, we're at a time in history where that is happening. He said, we have 24 years. Now, you can believe that or not. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't hurt me if you don't believe that. I mean, well, I won't go there, but yeah, it doesn't even, I don't even care if you believe. 
See, because I, I'm not responsible for you guys. I'm responsible for me. I'm responsible to step myself. And we can trust in what he says. He said we have 24 years in the readying of the bride. I want to read to you. I want to read you something that was said on Tuesday. Because because he wants me to. Those of you who were here and heard it, maybe you'll remember, maybe not. But this is this is what's here now. This is the reading of the bride. And and God's been he's been on my heart all week ever since Tuesday to put this on Facebook. And I asked him, I said, "Well, can I wait till after Sunday? Because maybe you'll just have me say it on Sunday. And he said, well, that's fine. I'll have you say it on Sunday. He said, but you're still going to put it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. See, this is the kind of stuff that they make these little documentaries about. <laughs> I know that ahead of time. I'm just saying, I know that ahead of time. But this is what the Lord says. The Lord says, take courage, church. The battle is not over. I, the Lord, am sending a tidal wave of destruction upon the bride. I will destroy your temples. I will bring low your synagogues. I will scatter your shepherds and bring terror upon the people. You may ask why. He didn't say that part. I'm I'm saying this to you guys. You may look at that and say, why? A loving God would never do that. But I'm here to tell you this is why. Because the time for Israel to be jealous is coming. Yet how can she be jealous of a prostitute? What could she possibly desire from an unfaithful wife? Turn to me and I will heal your land. Turn to me and I will save your babes. Come to me and Israel will know that I have loved you. See, I've shared before that in God's complete plan, He will bring about the promises that He has for Israel. Israel, who turned away from the Messiah, who did not receive the Messiah. Don't think for a second that that denied God's promises. It didn't. God then began to work in a bride. A bride that he died for. That in turn would fall in love with him. To make Israel jealous. We've talked about this before and I won't take the time to go into that. But there will be a time where Israel becomes jealous. Revelation 3 verse 9. Because the bride has so much favor from the father. That's what will bring Israel. They won't be jealous like Oh, man, we missed out. They'll be jealous like we were supposed to have that. We want that. Jesus, we believe that you are the Messiah. Come. Do you know the Bible says at that moment is when he will come? At that moment. But the bride must be readied to even. For even the father to have that favor upon her. That's what this 24 years is all about. And in order to do that, it's just like what happened when Jesus, when he first went into Jerusalem, what was the first thing he did? He overturned the money changers. He overturned the tables in the temple that were treating it like a business, that were doing it like they, they, that this was just their livelihood. That's what he's going to do to the bride. 
Woe those churches that treat Jesus like a business. This does not mean that they're not saved. This does not mean that they don't know Him as Savior. It's got nothing to do with that. They were Jews in the temple. They all believed in a coming Messiah. Yet they didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear that the very Messiah that they believed in coming was the one flipping over their tables. God's going to do that again. He is going to flip the tables of the churches here in America and all over the world that put their passion into organization. See, and I've said it before, in those churches, you have men that lead. You have a pastor or women that lead. You have a pastor, you have an elder board, you have a deacon board. Whatever. And then they kind of get their thoughts from God. And then manage. See, if they really got their thoughts from God, if they really got their directions from God, then you would see in their church the fruit of relationship. And there are many churches out there like that. It's not that, well, there's only one good church and they're all, the rest of them are all going to die. No, that's silly. But you can see the difference. Look around, guys. You don't think God's doing something in this church? Look at lives here. Look at lives that are changed. Look at lives that came in to this fellowship. They weren't changed because of this church. Get that. It's got nothing to do, to do with me. It's got nothing to do with the other people in this church. Outside of what God does through them. It's because we don't run this church. God does. We have an elder board. You know what we talk about? Hey, what's, what's God telling you? What's God telling you? Let, let, what does God say? What does he want us to do here? Not, not well, you know what? You have a business background, Jeff. So, so let, let's talk to you about what we should do here because you have this, this marketing. You know about real estate. You know, get us in a building. Jeff, you know what? It is Jeff's fault we're not in a building. <laughs> I just realized. It's Jeff's fault. We can all blame him. But you know what? Jeff doesn't run this church. I don't run this church. God runs this church. He wants to run every church. The ready bride will be a church run by Him. That He works and He manipulates and He does what He wants to do. That will be the ready bride. That's what's going to happen in the next 24 years. Well, now next 22 years. But it's going to come with pain. Just like what Jesus said that was just read. It's going to come by destruction. See, last week ago Monday, when I was down at the ranch with the tortive, and I had that, that dream that night, and I woke up, and I look, and, and just, I'm waking up in just sobs. The sobs were twofold. It was because the Lord said, everything that you talked about will come to pass. We talked for five hours about what was going to happen in Nigeria. He said, everything you talked about will come to pass, but it will be with war. It will be with war because I have to dismantle. If you really want this, I have to dismantle first. Because there are strongholds that can't be there if we're going to have the full faith required for him to lead. Why? Because he's in a different dimension, guys. There's a gap between us and him that Jesus built the bridge for. But that gap is not just to buy our life. It's to buy our love. 
It's to buy our relationship. So when we step, we step in faith. As others of this remnant do the same thing, he starts to bring his bride together. But it's going to be through destruction. Don't be surprised when you see it. Don't be surprised when you see it in our government. Because you're going to see it in our government. You're already seeing it in our government, but you're going to see it a whole lot more. This country will be what seems to be on the verge of civil war. Between now and this time next year. But don't believe it. Because it's not true. Because the blustering of the enemy is his strength. I'm not saying that he can't do bad things. But I'm saying the power is in his blustering. And it's only power if you believe it. But there is a cleansing coming to this country. There is a cleansing because that remnant, that bride that is to be readied, can't allow abortion. Do you understand that? There can't be abortion in this country. There can't be that offering to Baal in this country. There can't be. It doesn't mean that you don't love those people that have those issues. No, I desperately want them to have what I have. I want them to know Jesus Christ and know Him like I know Him. And the only way that's ever going to happen is when the world... Revelation 3.9 sees the favor that God has on his bride. So you want to affect history? You want to affect the future? Let your yes be yes. Let your walk be without hesitation. Let your sifting become strength. Learn his voice. Know his voice. Know it's him. But when you know it's him, don't hesitate. Because he'll, he'll fight. He'll get in with doubt. He'll get in with anything else he can. Let your brothers and sisters fight with you. Fight for you. Be there for each other as we will be there for other churches, other portions of remnant. Because, see, we're all in the same fight. And it's time. We live in the most unique time of history. This is the culmination of what Jesus paid for. You know, he, he never claimed yet what he's paid for. Right? He, he, he bought with his blood the title deed to the earth. He took it back or bought the rights of it back from Satan who was given to it by Adam. But yet he's not taken it yet. He doesn't take it until he returns after the tribulation because he said the time of the Gentile and the number of the Gentiles not yet finished. It's not yet complete. That's the bride. That's the readying of the bride. It's not complete. But it's time for it to become complete. Because he can't wait anymore. His love won't allow him to wait anymore. Oh, Jesus, just have your way. Father, we worship you and we praise you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love. And Father, I just pray that you affect the depths of our heart with your truth in ways that plant seeds of confidence. Not just confidence in our own lives, but confidence to fight for others. Confidence to believe even when others 
have a difficulty believing, just like Jesus did for Peter. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We desire your perfect will. And we will receive it. I declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeff, I want you to come up here. And the Lord just had me to tell you. I don't know if the Lord has something on your heart or not. You can add to that or you could close us. It's up to you. Jesus, I, I just thank you for courage. I thank you for Greg's courage. I thank you that he loves you more than anything else. And I thank you, God, for the heart for you that you've given him. And I uh, thank you that it's infectious and it affects all of us. And I thank you for that, God. You're our leader. Greg just keeps pointing us to you. And I thank you for that, Lord. And Father, this um, this week since Tuesday, you've just put an incredible joy and thankfulness in my life for your healing hand. And God, I it's always on my heart, it's always on my mind, but God, with all the truth that you have shared about the readying of the bride, God, you want to heal this land. Yes. You want people to understand how much you love them. You look down at the hurt and the hurting, and you're the answer. And you have given us the privilege of carrying you to everyone at any time. So God, I know without a shadow of a doubt that you want to heal this land and I know you're doing it already. And God, no matter what we see, what we hear, what the news tries to get us to believe, I pray, God, that we would just hear from you and you'd guide us through all of the all of the noise that we see on a daily basis. So God, I praise you for who you are. I praise you for what you have in the future for us and what's coming. And Lord Jesus, draw us closer to you every minute of every day. I had the privilege of talking to Will and Carrie last night, and God, you know my heart for for never stepping out of your presence. You ask us to pray in your presence. You ask us to deal with people in your presence. You ask us to be in relationship with other people standing in your presence at all times. So God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would show us an ignition how to never, how to live every minute of every day not stepping out of your presence at any moment. Because that's when we're vulnerable, Lord. And in you and through you, nothing, nothing can take us down. Nothing. So God, I praise you with all of my heart. And I thank you for all the hearts here, God. I stand with expectancy for what you have in this week for our church and our family. I'm excited about it, Lord. Every Monday morning, I'm excited to see and to hear what you're going to do throughout the week. So we give you the week and everything in it. And we're going to stand back and just watch and see what you do. In your name, I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. All right, I'll be in the back.